Blog Talk Radio. Got that, all right. So, um, 
So what's new? How are you? And uh, I'm so glad to have you back. You have uh, People have emailed and chatted and uh, sent me messages. They really love all of the information you have shared in prior shows. And, uh, and uh, you have been a very popular guest, and I can't thank you enough for being here and look forward to discussing uh, the documentary movie that you uh, are responsible for, Most Valuable Players. So, um, so what's up? Well, first of all, I will tell you that it is gloomy and drizzly here in, in L.A. I just had my car washed yesterday, too. God, it's so good to hear. <laughs> what, you had my car so... washed? Or, or that it, uh... <laughs> well, that, that, too. But, no, it's usually it's you know, perfect weather L.A. I miss it every day. And for some, you know, today it's actually gorgeous where I am. Um, so it, it makes me miss it a little less. when right. I. However, though, I'm certain that it will burn off. <laughs> and be an absolutely beautiful day. Yeah, yeah, it's that great beach stuff that's happened in the last five or six years, right? That's right. What is that called, gray? Um, um, uh, yeah, they call it something, but I, uh, I don't know. You know, remember, I, I'm a transplant. Okay, well, not important. Yeah, but, uh, it, right. it, but it'll burn off. It'll be another gorgeous day in Los Angeles, and your car is clean, uh, except that now it's rained on. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Uh, All right. Yeah, and I get my car washed maybe once a year, so it's, it's really <laughs> I hear frustrating. You. I hear you. So, um, let's see. Apart from the weather, what uh, what's up for you? I mean, just uh, just in general, since last time I we spoke, which was last week, actually. Yeah, it's just it's been it's been a really busy week. You know, um, Matthew Kalis, the uh, director of Most Valuable Players, and I were preparing to uh, go to the Mill Valley Film Festival, which is right outside San Francisco. And I got to tell you, going to film festivals it, it's a it's a full time job. There's so much stuff. There's so many. Uh, there's such a long checklist of things that that has to be done. And poor Matthew's been running around with uh, just, just so much to do. So, yeah, it, it really it really keeps you busy. It really keeps you busy. And there are filmmakers that are going to you know, many, many film festivals uh, in, the, in a short amount of time. And I, I'm not sure how anybody can, can sort of manage all of that. We're just doing uh, three this fall. Wow. And, uh, wow. Yeah, that's plenty for us. Now, it is going to be showing in Mill Valley on the 10th of October, yeah. so this is coming uh, up in a few days. So this weekend. It's, yeah, that's correct. We, uh, our first screening is uh, the 10th, which is Sunday. I think it's at 1.30. And then um, uh, on the 15th, which is Friday, and um, I don't know, it's either 5 or 6. Uh, and, uh, but all that information can be obtained at our website, Most Valuable playersmovie.com so you can find out about all our screenings wherever we are. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Say that again. Mostvalueplayersmovie.com Mostvalueplayersmovie.com All right. Yep. Fantastic. And I'm going to tweet about that right now. Um, but let me ask you, um, uh, you know, you're, you, you've been working at, at uh, William Morris as a story editor and, and uh, for a, a number of years, I mean, and now it's William Morris Endeavor, and you've uh, produced feature films. Uh, what? How did you? How did you get involved in this? What was it about this that attracted you, or how did this come about? And can you tell us a little bit about what Most Valuable Players is about? Um, I, I've already got people in the chat room saying, "Oh, it's a wonderful movie." So, uh, you know, for those all right, who are, all right, that must uh, be my yeah. mother. <laughs> Could be, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, for those who don't know what it is and who have yet to go to the website, uh, can you fill us in a little bit and then fill us in as to how you how you how you got the project going? Sure. Most Valuable Players is a documentary that looks at the Freddie Awards, and the Freddie Awards is a um, it's basically the Tony Awards for high school musicals. The Freddie Awards recognizes excellence in high school musical theater. You know, we live in a society where uh, high school athletes get all the accolades and all the trophies. And uh, usually the high school performing arts are struggling to raise a dime to put on their shows, whether it be a choral presentation or band or the high school play. And in this particular community, which is the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, they've sort of remedied that problem a little bit, uh, kind of 
fighting fire with fire a little bit by creating a competition of their own, not an athletic competition, but in this case, uh, a Tony Award-like competition where um, the various high school musical productions within the area are judged and then nominations are handed out and then they all gather at the beautiful State Theater in Easton, Pennsylvania to find out who wins. And so the documentary is a little bit like Spellbound, which was that wonderful documentary that came out I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago about the National Spelling Bee. Uh, but except uh, our film is not set in the world of spelling bee, it's set in the world of high school musicals. So it has a little bit of that sort of high school musical Zac Efron franchise going, or maybe a little glee. So we like to pitch it as it's glee uh, meets the spellbound. And, uh, but at its heart, it's really a film that uh, shows us the benefits of performing arts education. It's not a film that really talks about statistics and numbers, and I, I think we all know that around the country the uh, arts are always the first thing that's cut yeah. from uh, schools and this is just a film that that shows you the beauty and the glory of high school performing arts and I think when people leave the film we don't have to tell anybody that high school arts shouldn't be cut I think the film just says it all, just through experiencing what these kids go through, and the teachers as well. And I kind of like to pitch it as it's the, it's the anti-waiting for Superman, because although, yeah, you know, schools are failing, this particular film looks at some really successful elements of our public school system, some wonderful teachers. Uh, we profiled Jennifer Wesco from Freedom High School and Mark Stutz and Frank Anonia from... Uh, Parkland and Jill Keebler and Rita Cortez from Emmaus High School. These are wonderful, dedicated teachers who put in hours and hours beyond overtime with no pay. Their lives are dedicated to the arts and their students. And, and, and it's, really, it's really a feel-good film. So while there are, there's probably four or five documentaries out there right now that are telling us how our public schools are failing, this film, on the other hand, just shows us that there are elements within our schools that are very very successful and why not share that and so it's really a fun film and I also think in many ways it's a documentary that's uh, that uh, is a film that's really not for people that like documentaries all that much it's really sort of struck a chord there uh, and that was definitely sort of a um, a goal of ours that we really wanted to make a very entertaining film and, and uh, I think that we achieved that so that's sort of part two to your question. Part one, which was, uh, you know, where did we discover this? Well, uh, uh, I found it on YouTube, believe it or not. This, this wonderful ceremony called the Freddie Awards is televised live. It goes out to five million homes in the area of the Lehigh Valley. And so excerpts of it are posted on YouTube. And I just accidentally stumbled upon an excerpt of the Freddie Awards on YouTube. Was not meaning to go uh, there to see anything or learn. I'd never heard about the Freddie Wars. I didn't even know that a program like this existed in the country. And I was a theater geek when I was in junior high school and high school. And, and I, I, you know, if it hadn't been for junior high school and high school performing arts, I, I, I probably would have been a very lost kid, I suspect. It really helped me sort of shape my identity, and I really found my passion there. And, and and, and I could just see in these in these few YouTube clips, uh, I just I just had an immediate connection with the event. I just thought the event was absolutely tremendous, and um, so uh, I said, "Wow, there's probably a movie in here." And, and because I had always loved Spellbound, uh, I just saw it as a documentary. I didn't see it as a feature film. I saw it as a documentary. And I was like, wow, I've never made a documentary. I don't really know anything about documentaries, with the exception that I love to watch them. But I put a pitch together, and um, I was like, okay, so now what do I do with this? And I was sort of going down this list of names that I made as to who could I pitch this to. Because obviously trying to get a documentary uh, up and running is really, really hard because there's, there's not a lot of chance of remuneration on the other end. And so you really have to find somebody who would be equally as passionate about the subject matter. And so um, 
the name at the top of the list was Matthew D. Kalis. I had worked with him on a previous project. Uh, uh, he had produced a writing workshop that I had done. Uh, it was actually um, a classroom workshop that then uh, a person came up to me and said, wow, we would love to put this on, your, uh, on our TV station. And so Matthew ended up being introduced to me, and he produced this writing workshop that I gave for TV. We actually were both nominated for Emmy Awards out here. And, um, and we got along really well. And I, he is an advocate of the arts. His family, great patrons of the arts. And, um, and I knew that he could find the money because he, ha- he has a great background in that. You know, he was a, uh, his MBA from Columbia. He spent a lot of time uh, doing a lot of startup businesses, making a lot of money, hedge funds. So he, I knew that he could ferret it out in one way or another. And so I sent him the pitch, and uh, it took him quite a few months to get back to me, and he called me over to his house. We had a meeting. I didn't really know what it was about, but he was asking me questions, and then finally said, "Listen, you know, I think I can get the money for this, and and uh, you know, I'd like to do it." I, I was surprised because I certainly didn't think that was going to be uh, the result of that first meeting, and so we got wow. on it right away. So I got lucky. Wow, that's 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 fascinating. I, I think you know, I, I think there's a couple things in there. One is. Is yeah, that's cool. You got lucky. That's fantastic. Two, you saw something on YouTube, which you know I, I think we even asked at one point. You know, do people look at YouTube much and, and discover things, or are are people apt to get, you know, somewhere from YouTube? But you you did. You saw something on YouTube that inspired you to go ahead and and uh, and then make the work that you made. You know, the documentary film, Most Valuable Players, and uh, based on that. So I think that uh, is inspiring. Uh, for people listening, and uh, I mean, just all the way around. So let's let's talk uh, the, the creation then. I mean, it is not a feature film; it is a documentary film. And how do the two differ? How do you have to be involved? What you know in terms of shooting? How do you you go and you shoot and 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 you try and cover it? But uh, you're still you're still presenting a voice or a story or a, you know. I mean, well, let me ask you: what's your what's your take on on the nature of documentary film too? Well, you know, I think that for the most part, documentaries uh, now are are really um, they're really advocacy projects. You're really mm-hmm. sort of out trying to promote some sort of cause, um, you know. And and and, and uh, I'm not necessarily a fan of that. I don't mind a film that just follows some, you know, old woman in her daily life. To me, that's fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be about some greater cause uh, necessarily. But that's certainly where documentary filmmaking is going now. If, 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 if you don't have a platform for your film, then um, uh, it can be very difficult to try to market a documentary or get people interested in it. Uh, so uh, I think that's where, uh, where sort of the documentary world is. It certainly, I think, sets feature documentaries apart from, for instance, reality TV, uh, which just might be about the life of a person, like uh, Ruby, uh, the uh, heavy woman. There's just this uh, reality TV series about a woman who happens to be morbidly obese, and um, you know, and uh, maybe it's got some themes about health or this or that. But ultimately, it's it's really probably just about the exploitation of this woman's life first and foremost. It, it, but documentary feature films really need to be about something bigger, and uh, Clearly, I was madly in love with just the idea of the of the Freddie Awards at at first, and uh, but as we learned more and heard more about the area and the idea of uh, how the arts struggled to stay alive, it clearly took on its own cause, which became arts education and um, putting the film together uh, was 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 a challenge for me because I'd never made a documentary before and uh, everything that I'd ever done uh, and my whole world working at ICM or William Morris or William Morris Endeavor is always about having a script. And when you start with a documentary, you don't have a script. 
we we started out with a treatment. We went in sort of uh, guessing what our story could be about, but understanding that real life rewrites things very quickly, and, and we understood that uh, the film may not end up being what we went in to, to shoot, and there were certainly those elements. Uh, there were a lot of unexpected elements within our story that we had to include that we never could have imagined starting out, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, it really came down to getting uh, an experienced team together, and we were really, really lucky. We knew that we didn't have a lot of money, so we had to get a, 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 a core crew, and it would be me and Matthew, and we needed a, a DP, and we needed um, a sound guy, and we really wanted to get a great DP, and we wanted to get a great sound guy. So our, our initial search for DPs was a little tough. Matthew was sort of looking at some director of photographies from the world of reality TV. And my fear of that was that the movie might end up looking like it was reality TV. My former assistant at ICM, she reminded me of a friend that she had who had um, actually won an Emmy Award for a beautiful documentary called Amargosa, which had been shortlisted um, with the Academy the year that uh, it was released. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And she said, you know, you should talk to this guy. And I was like, oh, you know, I mean, this guy's, this guy's not going to want to work with us. And um, anyway, I ended up writing a long email to uh, Kurt Abdehan, and he... He really loved the project, and he came on, and, um, and he's been an amazing resource to us. He hasn't given up. He has stuck with us. We're like, you know, we're like Siamese twins, at least the three of us. So we just say Siamese triplets, conjoined triplets. I don't know if that even exists. But uh, Matthew and Kurt and, and, and I have really, you know, we've really become this, this, this really tight team. And he was, he was amazing. He's a beautiful eye. And he directed, uh, he was the director of photography for Amargosa, which was uh, a documentary that took place at a uh, theater in the middle of Death Valley. And just beautifully shot. And he also DP'd for a film called Go Tigers, which was about a, foot, a high school football-obsessed town. So I was like, you know, this guy's such a perfect match because he shot in theaters and he shot with kids um, on two different projects. And our project's almost sort of a hybrid of that. And when he said, I'd love to do it, we were really ecstatic. And then he introduced us to Ken King, our uh, production sound mixer. And Ken is just a, a, a pro. He's been doing it for years. He worked on Werner Herzog's Grizzly Man. He was nominated for a BAFTA for um, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Uh, he has at least two Emmy Awards. He's been nominated for four or five. A top, top-notch guy. And so, you know, we went to Pennsylvania, the four of us. And then we picked up some local crew people there uh and but uh, you know crew was probably you know maybe six or seven at the max on a on a good day with the exception of the actual freddie awards ceremony where we managed to get a few more people to join us because it was such a massive event to try to cover and uh and so that was the start of it all and and um just a, a really sort of daunting task for a person like me who's never put any of this stuff together uh, before. Matthew has had experience with documentaries, and he was very patient. And I learned a lot, and I learned right on the job. Right on the job. Wow, well, that is absolutely fascinating. I want to point out, I mean, we have a chat room full of people, and and they are saying, wow, you know, the chat room's always packed when Christopher's a guest. But we also have a couple people uh, from... The film, we have, let me see if I can find them and scroll back. I sure hope I can. We have uh, uh, Brother or Bros 91 says MVP, uh, Most Valuable Player was a great movie. I actually had the opportunity to work on the film. I was one of the student cinematographers. Aha. Uh -huh. And, and right. we have CG. Uh, that's I that's probably say, Ben Roth. That's probably Ben Roth. Oh, that's B. Ross. Okay, that makes sense. Well, that makes there sense. you go. Yeah, he is, yeah, yeah. He, is a, he is a budding filmmaker, and uh, he's a graduate from Emmaus High School. And what's, what was terrific about that was, you know, that we were able 
to to sort of do a little bit of arts education ourselves in that respect, where we uh, asked a couple of students to help us uh, shoot. And you know, we had over 300 hours of source material in the end, and we certainly couldn't use most of what we had, but. Uh, some of Ben's stuff made it into the film, and, and uh, you know cool. we were we were thrilled. Very cool, and uh, and congratulations, Ben. And we have Fiji. I guess you would say flautist, but Fiji flautist, um, who says uh, one of the featured people in the movie is <laughs> it just girls away. My brother Vic. Yes. Puma. Okay, of that that's I'm guessing that's Kathy. I'm guessing that's Kathy because I think she's I think she's the flautist. Um, yes, Vic uh, Vic Vic plays a very a very important role in our film. He's in many ways the heart and the soul of the film. And when I spoke earlier about uh, some uh, unexpected story points, uh, he was certainly one of them. And um, I don't want to give away too much, but. Um, really became uh, a real emotional journey for us as filmmakers having to determine. Uh, Vic was diagnosed with cancer um, while we were filming, and Vic was one of the, the major organizers of the Freddie Awards. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was such an interesting dilemma because, you know, I, I didn't want to make a film about cancer. Uh, that wasn't what this was about. And, um, but Vic was wonderful. He was like, listen, you know, I'm here uh, and I'm ill and you guys can do with me what you want. You want to follow me around, ask me questions, use it, not use it. And we decided to follow his advice and, and, and cover it because it really became so integral to the event that year and to not include it really would have been very, very disingenuous. Wow. Wow. Let me ask you two questions. We're about at break time, but let me ask you the questions. Answer those. We'll take the break late, no problem. And that is, um, uh, well, let me first say that Tai Domi says, uh, he's got a couple of things, says uh, Ken King is the best, and... Matthew Callis rocks. So uh, just that sounds uh, that sounds a little bit like my uh, DP, the uh, a wonderful and Emmy-winning Kurt Uptahan. I, I, I suspect that he's probably <laughs> listening in, and, and he's he's terrific. I love him. I cannot speak more highly uh, of him. I, this really this has really become a family for us. We, we've we've we, we've really we've really been a family because. Making a documentary is an ordeal, and so it really, really brings the crew together. And, and we have we have gotten along beautifully from the beginning, all of us. And there's been very, very, very little conflict. Maybe on a scale from one to ten, it's been you know maybe one on really rare occasions where Matthew and I maybe didn't see eye to eye on certain things in post. But it's really been just a, a tremendous experience. Well, let me just to remind us, how long did the entire project take from, from the, say, the time you assembled the crew to, to now? We'll go back into how long the, the actual thing took from, from when you discovered it, but just the, the actual production and how long? Uh, how the much? actual production, I, until now, I'd say it's probably two, two and a half years. Wow, okay. Wow. All right, let me ask you these two questions from the chat room before they scroll away. One is from DeBolis, who asks, um, hey, if you can. Uh, can you talk about mockumentaries? He's in pre-production right now, if you have any suggestions there. And FX Guy asks, um, when filming a documentary, how do you convince the subjects to not act for the camera, but just to be themselves? All right. Uh, taking the first question first, uh, uh, mockumentaries, I think, are probably a very tough sell just in general because they're not going to please the the documentary world. And, and on the flip side, uh, although it is a fiction film, uh, it doesn't exactly play like a fiction film. So uh, I would just say be very, very careful. Know right now who your audience is uh, and start to market your film now. You know, start a Facebook page, uh, start to tweet, and, and really begin to create that audience, build that audience right now. Don't wait. We waited until the movie was done, and, and I, I wouldn't do that. I would start at the beginning. Um, and really, really draw in fans now. Uh, second question was, can you remind me? 
uh, was how do you, when, when you're filming a documentary, how do you convince the, uh, the uh, real-life players not to act? It's very, very difficult. And I think nowadays we are in a much savvier world where people understand that, that their on-camera behavior can come back and haunt them because reality TV has really taught us some valuable lessons. I think the only way that you can really do that is to have a camera on people constantly, where eventually it's just too exhausting to have to act. That's not exactly what we did, and um, because we really didn't have the time or the resources to do that, we really just tried to stay out of the way and and really be more of a fly on the wall as opposed to constantly sticking cameras in people's faces, although that happened. And uh, but ultimately, I think the more that the subjects are familiar with the cameras being there, then the less likely they are to perform and just and just be real. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, now I do have to take a break. I want to thank you for that. Um, but let me say that you're listening to uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official website is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S. If you're listening to us for the very first time, we certainly hope that you'll come back and listen to us again and again in the future. I have so many wonderful guests. I'm going to name a few of them coming up uh, in just a moment. But first, I want to say that if you are listening live, please go ahead. And if this is your first time or if you're listening even to a podcast or the archive show, go ahead and make us a favorite. Follow us. Uh, and uh, friend us right where you're listening live. Uh, leave comments in the chat room. Uh, go ahead and tweet about this, Facebook. Uh, put it on people's walls, email, phone them. But help us spread the word far and wide, uh, not only about uh, Christopher Lockhart and Most Valuable Players, but what I really, because I really want you to do that, and the movie is uh, premiering on October 10th in Mill Valley, uh, but also for each of my guests, because like Christopher, they are sharing so much expertise and so much critical information uh, for you, uh, and it's all free. So um, go ahead and uh, help spread the word. The, uh, the cool thing is, is that Jake Settler has said, so cool that there are so many people in the chat room who are also supporting, who've been on the film or part of the family that, uh, that you had there, Christopher, and he's, and he's thrilled. Um, let me, and, and so are others. But let me uh, point out that some of my guests coming up now, um, the next guest will be David Brannon and uh, Karen Warden of Film Courage. Now, I get a message that they may be pulling the plug in the Film Courage show. I don't know what that's about. We'll find out tomorrow on the very next show with uh, the Film Courage group. Eduardo Ballerini, an actor who uh, is in uh, Boardwalk Empire, The Sopranos, and so many other movies will be up after that. Rick Overton, stand-up comedian and actor, joins us shortly thereafter. Diane Nabatoff is a producer. You're going to want to hear what she has to say. John Reese, the author of Think Outside the Box Office, will join us for, I believe, his third conversation. So many of these people have been here before or coming back again um, to continue conversations, and I'm always thrilled when people can, can do that. Richard Chisholm is a cinematographer who will be joining us. Daryl Morey and I will continue our talk on Massacre at Central High for the cult fans and film friends. And then Sherry Candler is um, marketing and PR. She will be up. Harry Northup is an actor who's been in, he started, I think he started his career in the first six Martin Scorsese films. Um, uh, Jane Jenkins and, and Janet Hershenson will be returning. Producer-director Uva Bull uh, is coming uh, back. So uh, that is some of the guests that we have uh, lined up and uh, hope to see you in the um, chat room or listen live or listen archived and um, We'll talk to you, or, or, or we'll look forward to seeing you and uh, talk with my guests uh, each time we do. So thank you. And uh, I'm back with Christopher. Hello. Uh, hi. hi. <laughs> so again, let's, let's, it's the uh, most valuable players, movie.com is the website. And um, now, i got to ask, because, you know, the, the notion that you discover this thing on YouTube, what... Uh, how do you, how did you discover it on YouTube? I mean, you're just out one night, you know, surfing the web. And... Uh, yeah, you know how when you um, search something on YouTube, uh, there is a panel to the right that lists um, other right other videos in the same category. And so I was looking for one thing, uh, and then other videos popped up along the side, and I was just sort of glancing down and 
it was there, and I just clicked on it. And if I hadn't clicked on it, then we wouldn't be discussing this this morning. So uh, I'm glad that I did that. I was actually at work at the time, so uh, I was obviously bored at work and uh, just doing a little bit of web surfing. But uh, I'm glad that I did, and that was in 2007. What was what was sort of interesting about it was that I I, um, I was watching these clips, and then. Uh, there was a link to where I could go to the website for the State Theater in Eastern Pennsylvania. And so I went to the website to to learn more about it. And there were all these wonderful little quirky details, like the Freddies are named after the ghost that allegedly haunts that theater. And so just all these kind of wonderful things that I just slowly started to fall in love with. And, and then by coincidence, uh, I noticed on the website that the Freddie Awards were the very next evening. So I had oh, wow. stumbled upon this less than 24 hours before the 2007 Freddie Awards. And uh, so I was literally about to book a flight. I was just going to book a flight and get how much it cost. I didn't, have, didn't know where I was going to stay, but I had to get out there to see it. And then by chance, my assistant pointed out, you don't have to. Look, they're going to uh, stream it live. Oh, on wow. the web. And so the next day, it was like f- 4 o'clock hour time, locked my office door and it was like a three and a half hour show just like um, any live award ceremony goes on too long. And I was hooked and then that was when I put the pitch together. And, uh, and even though Matthew was game to do it, we still had to get the permission from the theater itself and, and the organizers. Shelley Brown is uh, the CEO of the State Theater, and she created the Freddie Awards. And so we uh-huh. needed to, 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 to get her on board. And so we had to call and introduce ourselves. And this, this was her baby. And so she wasn't too keen on just turning it over to two documentarians from, from the West Coast. Furthermore, Shelley's previous career before running the theater, she was a PBS uh, on-air personality and a producer. Uh, and so she she knows the ins and outs of you know how to put together a documentary and and uh, so you know she wasn't all that easy to win over at first. We had to do a, a lot of singing and dancing to eventually uh, coerce her. But I can tell you now, after really what's you know almost three and a half years, uh, she's 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 very pleased. Actually, when 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 she saw the final cut, see, I'm just I'm revealing all the dirty laundry. When she saw that final cut for the first time she was sort of taken aback she didn't she didn't love it at first and mm. and and i think that's because when you when you uh when you're so deeply involved and it's so personal as it is for her it's her baby and now she's looking at her baby through somebody else's eyes when she had probably in her own head envisioned especially being a producer herself sure uh, had envisioned what the film would be and it and 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 it wasn't what she thought it would be um and so it, it 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 took her a little bit of time to to really sort of be be able to step back and look at the film objectively, and I think it helped that that those around her, uh, her husband, her children, the people that she really trusts, uh, were able to tell her, no, it's it's really wonderful, and 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 she's fantastic in it because she did have so many years of being an on-air personality. She's terrific. She's so natural and well-spoken, and she's attractive, and, and, and we could, she's hot. And we couldn't have, uh, you know, we, we couldn't have asked for a better character, that's for sure. And, you know, again, she's, she's, she's part of our family. And, and Jamie Balliott, uh, who also works at the State Theater, who uh, produces the live show, you know, these people just uh, have all become part of our family. And we're sort of, we're linked now. You know, we're linked through this film uh, in perpetuity. So, you know, forever and ever. And it's, it's sort of nice. That's very cool. I want to ask you a question from the chat room. And then 
Um, I want to um, ask you a couple other questions that I have um, uh, backed up. Uh, uh, but first, let me say, you know, I'm sure I'm massacring names in the in the chat room. I said Roth instead of B. Roth, and, and I have Kara D. Ford, I believe, is the is the name. And, and this person asks, as a person who is interviewing film folks, I always like to feel I'm in the way. I always feel, I'm sorry, like I'd be in the way to interview before a film is finished. But wouldn't that help to get the excitement going? Now, I think both of us could answer that, but go go for that. Uh, so, so the question I is: Would it be okay to 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 do an interview before the film is finished? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Because you can still talk about the origins of the film and what and what the production is like. Uh, that's done all the time out here in Hollywood, so uh, that, that helps. Anything now for films where you can get people to talk about your film long before it's done, this way you have an audience primed and ready to go. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. All right, awesome. Um, uh, and, yeah, and, I mean, we even touched on it earlier when you said, you know, I would have started much earlier with the promotion of my film. I think the idea being now to, to grab your audience up front and to, to cultivate that audience throughout production and post-production and into the festival runs and out to the release and everything, anything you can do to, to cap, captivate, to intrigue, to captivate, and to hold on to potential uh, audience members um, should start as early as you possibly can. Yeah, I, for us, of course, it was really hard because you know we were we were there, we were on the scene right. uh, for four months on and off. It's twenty-hour days, and uh, I don't even think I was on Facebook. In fact, I wasn't even on Facebook back then. It, well, it wasn't I, I, until way later. I don't even think I knew what Facebook was back then. Actually, I, I I will I will now then plug my upcoming guest, John Reese, who wrote Think Outside the Box Office, who is a huge advocate for the. The uh, position now called producer of marketing and distribution, or producer of distribution marketing, PDM. Yes. Uh, meaning that, that, that this person comes on from the beginning, and they are responsible for marketing and helping the distribution of the project and, and doing all of the online stuff and everything so that someone like yourself, you're going to be on the set, you're going to be busy with doing things that, that somebody else is actually handling this, that they're, or a team of people are handling this. Right. Uh, and also, too, it's it's... Uh, the the online social network is truly a world within uh, itself, and I think it's really imperative that you have somebody who knows the strategies to employ and somebody who knows that world, knows the geography, knows the topography of it, because I certainly don't. And, um, you know, I have a friend who's constantly telling me, uh, you've got to get on Twitter, you've got to get on Twitter, and I still haven't gotten on Twitter yet. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we will... We will do that uh, sooner rather than later. But, yeah, start as early as you can. And also, too, keep in mind the budget. And uh, you need to put money aside for that, uh, for you know any sort of that kind of homegrown P&A that you're going to do. So, uh, yeah, having somebody uh, early on whose sole job is strictly that, a producer of marketing, if that's what you want to call it, is, is, uh, is a terrific idea, yeah. Fantastic. Now, let me. I've, I've got more questions coming up in the chat room, and I want to ask those, but I also want to ask this. So I'm going to put this one out there and then um, uh, draw your attention to the other ones, and you can always come back to mine. Uh, my question is, is, is what do documentary filmmakers need to know? What did you learn from the experience? You know, you produced features. Now you're in the documentary world. You know, we talked a little bit about how it's different. Um, so, so advice for documentary filmmakers is my question. But the question is, before we get there, let me ask you this, because someone asks, actually, uh, Taidomi, if I'm pronouncing that right, says, um, could I ask you, how did the film evolve through post, and if the original idea of Most Valuable Players ended up on screen as envisioned? Um, and that's the first question. Uh, how did it evolve through post? What was interesting was, uh, was that... Um, uh, I didn't know that I would be writing the film. Uh, I, you know, I always thought that the film was sort of written in the uh, editing room because you don't go in with the script. And so when we returned and, and, and all that stuff was logged and you know, put on a hard drive and Matthew said, okay, now you're going to go and you're going to go write the script. And I was like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, gee, that, gee, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, and said, so, well, you know, here you go. And he gave me, I don't know, about 3,000 pages of interview transcripts. And he gave me a hard drive with all of our um, raw footage on it. 
And he said, you know, you got to put something together. You have to have it make sense. Because really all we had was just 300 hours of completely disconnected source material. And, and so, it, it's, so now we had to put it together. And so it was a long, tedious process. It took me a year. And basically what I did, I think some, some insiders would call it a paper edit. Uh, I call it a script. But I basically edited the film on paper um, and created all of the scenes and and the momentum and the flow all on paper, just like anybody would do with with the screenplay. The difference is is that I was using material. I was using transcripted interviews, and I was using raw footage and writing down a lot of time codes. And uh, I would give those pages to Matthew, and then he would give me notes, and I'd go back and rewrite, and we'd go through that process. And then when we felt that we had it, we would then give those pages to our editor, Zach Braff, who had never edited a feature-length film before. And I was like, oh, my, this poor guy. And um, he did an amazing job. And so he, he would take those pages. And things that I wrote maybe didn't always work once they got into the editing room. And so he would then, of course, uh, breathe a little bit of new life into those pages. And then we would watch it. And then we'd all give notes. And we'd continue to tweak. And it, just, and it worked that way. Uh, and then eventually, after quite a while, we had something that we uh, all agreed that that we liked. Uh, post-production was all handled by Technicolor. And uh, uh, when I tell you, Technicolor is amazing. Somebody made the suggestion to us. Uh, it was actually my, you try to keep it all in the family, my, my, my wife's aunt mm-hmm. uh, does all the uh, on-air promos. She produces the on-air promos for CBS, and she uh, often uses Technicolor. And she said, you know, I will, I will make an introduction, and I'll ask them to, you know, give you a deal. And I was like, like, I knew that they would be so expensive, and we were really trying to look for, you know, a much, much cheaper post house. And Technicolor loved the film. And they really wanted to get on board. And all I can tell you is that they gave us, uh, they made us an offer that we couldn't refuse. And they have been so amazing and terrific. And te- I mean, we're talking about Technicolor. Mm-hmm. So it's like when Technicolor got behind our film, I was like, wow, we, 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 we really have a movie here. And they did everything for us. You know, they did the sound, they did the credits, they did the wow. colorizing, and, and they're just terrific. It's amazing. They have amazing facilities in Hollywood and Burbank, and uh, they've been with us all the way. And um, their vice president of global marketing, I believe that's his title, Bob Hoffman, has been amazingly helpful to us all along the way. And so to have a powerhouse like Technicolor support you, uh, we did things with this film that we probably couldn't have done otherwise. And it sort of makes me shudder to think, what, what would we have done if we didn't have Technicolor? So I'm really, really thankful for them. And, and that's been an amazing, an amazing process and so complicated. You know, Matthew has his bachelor's degree from MIT, and I thank God for that because <laughs> this digital revolution is so maddening and so confusing. And, and, and most of the time, I'd be at these meetings. I didn't know what they were talking about. I would just like nod my head a lot. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Not a clue what they were talking about. And um, even Matthew, who's really a genius, and I don't use that term loosely, he is a genius, uh, you know, it was a, it was a learning curve for him, but thankfully he has the capacity to pick it up. Uh, I'm not nearly as bright. And so, so, like, you know something? I'm bright enough to surround myself by bright, with, with bright people. And, uh, and so it's been, I mean, he's loved this process. He's such a geek. He's such a tech geek that he's really enjoyed and he's learned so much. And you know, he's chomping the bit to start the next project, so, which, of course, is really exciting. And we just, we're just not sure what that is. Um, but, yeah, so um, uh, you, you, you asked earlier what did, yeah. I, what did I learn through this. Mm-hmm. through this process. I think, I think if I learned anything, it really would be uh, know your audience. Go into the film knowing who your audience is, especially for a documentary. And, and, um, and that's not just a business uh, concept. It's, it's, 
it's it's also a creative concept, I think, and, and uh, because in the end, you know, documentaries for the most part, unless you're Michael Moore, they're not mass marketed, and so they really do tend to um, be marketed for a niche audience, and you really want to make sure that you make that audience happy. Uh, that's that's uh, great advice, as was the advice about surrounding yourself with uh, uh, brilliant people, because I think that when anyone is producing or putting together a movie, the, the, the more experienced people they can have around them, um, the, the better off they frequently are. And um, so, I, I, again, I, I just think that's a, a, you know, a stellar concept to, to reinforce. What I would like to talk about just very briefly is the the difficulty for documentaries to get recognized by the um, Motion Picture Academy, and, and that and that the rules are are really really hard. It's it's really hard for documentaries to get any sort of theatrical release, and uh, in 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 order for your film to to, to be eligible for uh, consideration of an Oscar, you have to meet certain requirements. Your film has to be, you know, either 35 millimeter or it has to be um, uh, a DCP, a digital cinema package. Uh, it has to uh, screen in both New York and Los Angeles uh, at least two times a day for seven consecutive days. It has to screen between the hours of 12 noon and, and 10 p.m., uh, uh, certain sort of advertising has to take place only in certain kinds of newspapers. The advertising has to be a certain size. It can't be clumped up with other other films, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really, wow. really, really hard for documentaries to uh, get any kind of theatrical release. I mean, thousands and thousands of documentaries are made a year. Stop and think about it. With the digital revolution, anybody can hold up a camera and point it at something that's potentially interesting, and it becomes a documentary. You don't need a script. Um, you don't need costumes. You don't need actors. It's, it's, it's in a sense, uh, a beautiful, beautiful form for the digital revolution, and I think that's why we've seen such an explosion of documentaries as of late. But most of them never get any kind of theatrical release. They're never seen on a big screen. And um, we got really lucky because our film was accepted by the um, International Documentary Association uh, to showcase in DocuWeeks, and this happened in August. And uh, so they created a platform where our film would meet all of those requirements that I just listed. And so we played in New York at the IFC Center in Greenwich Village, and we played out here at the Arclight Hollywood. And uh, it was a tremendous, wonderful experience that uh, really sort of put us on a list because prior to that, nobody in the documentary world had even heard of our film. And uh, as a result of that, um, people heard about our film, and uh, it opened up a lot of doors, a lot of doors. And, I, and I'll say that as a result, I can't go into any details, but we are in the process now of closing a deal that is, uh, that is a dream for Matthew and I and our whole team of filmmakers. And it's, it's tremendous, and there's such a happy ending to this, uh, something that we never thought could have happened, and I can't wait till I can share it, but we can't share it until the the deal is closed. So, um, but yeah, you know, and on top of all that, we are currently in consideration for um, an Oscar in the best documentary category. Not that I think that's going to happen, but uh, it's still nice to say, and it was certainly a dream of Matthews, and uh, like I kid Matthew all the time. All he has to do is think it, and it happens. So <laughs> I try not to be too much of a pragmatist around him, because I am, because I work in the business. I can be a little bit of a naysayer sometimes. Like, Matthew, you have to be a little more realistic about this. And he's like, why? Why? And he's such a dreamer, but uh, his dreams come true, I have to say. So, um, cool. yeah, so it's, so it's really been great. It's been really, really great. We're so wow. excited about it. Well, we are all, you know, pulling for you, and I think that's great news, and uh, and we can't wait until you're at that point where you can share it. Um, and, and by uh, the way, everybody, everybody can stay in touch. Just uh, go to our Facebook page. Uh, if you can't find it, you can go to um, our website, mostvaluableplayersmovie.com, and actually we have the live Facebook um, feed on 
on our website. And you can actually just click the top of the Facebook feed and it will take you to our Facebook page. And then you can click on that like button and be informed on, on everything that's going on with the film. We'd love to see you there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and Facebook is Most Valuable Players. You, if you search it there or through mostvaluableplayersmovie.com. Um, very cool. Uh, and uh, it's great timing because I was going to mention that uh, just about the time that you did. So um, awesome. Uh, I have another question for you from the chat room, um, and I want to ask that in just a second. Uh, I'll ask two. But um, first, we've got uh, on the outside, we have about eight minutes remaining. Um, I'm so happy that you've been here, Christopher. Christopher will be back at another time. We'll talk. Uh, we'll let you know when or how that's going to happen. I, we always enjoy chatting with you, Christopher, and there's so many people who in the chat room that are, are just thrilled that you're here. And so I ask those people in the chat room, then uh, go ahead and spread the word. Go ahead and share this interview on Twitter and Facebook and MySpace and through email and phone calls and in person and, and however you do. Just continue to go ahead and, and, and share the interviews with uh, Christopher. On his page at the uh, interviews at rexsykes.com, all four of these interviews are coalesced. They're all together in his biography page. You can listen to one, two, three, and four. They'll all be there. They're all in the podcast at iTunes. So uh, please go ahead and, and, and do share them and, and do listen. If you haven't heard the other ones with Christopher, you, you should definitely go back and listen. Um, the question that I have, well, there's, there's a couple. One, and, and what I was going to ask you, let me ask that first. It's playing the 10th in Mill Valley at the festival. I want you to go ahead and talk about that, but then it's also going to be in Chicago and elsewhere so where people can see it. Because one of the questions is, is will there be a theatrical release? And the, and the point is, if, if and when that occurs, I mean, prior to that time, where can they see it right now? Well, right now we are playing the film festival circuit. So if you're in or near... Uh, San Francisco, Chicago, or St. Louis, go to our website and uh, you can uh, see the dates and times there. In terms of a theatrical release, uh, we, are, we are discussing that. Uh, you know, you have to really consider a theatrical release and what it means. And, and for a small film like ours, uh, the, the P&A to, to really get the word out could be very costly. And truth be told, unless this documentary made tens and tens of millions of dollars at the box office, we would not recover any money. So we, you know, we wouldn't, it's, it wouldn't be financially advantageous for us. However, the beautiful thing about theatrical release is that more people learn about the film. However, that that deal that I hinted at earlier is really going to take care of all of that for us. So um, so I don't know. I mean, at this point, a theatrical release could could be superfluous, uh, but uh, we certainly don't rule it out. We're certainly not ruling it out. Oh, very cool. Um, I will ask, I guess, two questions. Ooh, and let me ask the this one first, uh, and that is just what's next. And I think you touched on it before, but in terms of projects, any any idea, any thoughts, what you're going to do, feature documentaries? Well, next for me is the collection, which is uh, the collector two. We start shooting that in November, uh, so that's at the top of my list. And Matthew and I are sort of banging around ideas for uh, potentially another another documentary. So. It's uh, still early stages, and we really haven't sort of uh, come to an agreement on what we'd like to do. You know, because you spend so much time on a documentary, and this is really, I discovered this in May of 2007. And, you know, we, we made our theatrical debut uh, in New York City on August 6th. So it really was, uh, you know, a little over three years. That, and that's full-time, full-time loving. And uh, so you have to be really, really passionate about an idea. You just can't say, oh, that sounds like a kind of a cool idea uh, because you don't know what it's going to be. It's not like you have a screenplay where you can look at it in advance and maybe say, yeah, we've actually got something here. It's, a much, it's really walking a, a tightrope, and uh, it's an expensive proposition and a timely proposition. So we don't want to sort of make any decisions lightly. So we're going to take some time to really think about it. But we've got some good ideas brewing. 
Fantastic. Hey, now I have a question that's been that's been a while back in the chat room. And I want to and I want to ask you. It, it is it's, it's off topic in terms of in terms of the movie, but it, a question that somebody does want an answer to. And this is Animal Rain says, "How can I talk to someone about a movie idea without them stealing the idea?" Uh, well, you know, look, and that's just sort of you have to take a pill. You know, you need to take like some kind of anti-anxiety pill for that because it's really more in your head. Uh, people just really aren't stealing ideas. Uh, it just really doesn't happen. Uh, people are so obsessed with their own ideas that they couldn't care less about anybody else's idea. That's number one. Number two, uh, if you're if you're a writer and you're a new writer, then I would really suggest. Uh, writing a screenplay. Uh, ideas are a dime a dozen anyway. Nobody's really impressed with ideas. If you're a, an established screenwriter like Frank Darabont or you're an established producer like Jerry Bruckheimer and you have an idea, people are going to take notice. But if you don't have a track record, then the idea doesn't mean anything to anybody. And, and, and idea people, they don't really make any money either. So uh, I would suggest that it is the execution of that idea uh, the manifestation of that idea that can bring about success, not the idea itself. And don't worry about people stealing ideas. I hear so many ideas. Truth be told, the majority of ideas aren't even worth listening to, let alone stealing. And I guess you would know. <laughs> I mean, you've read so many screenplays and hear so many things. Let me. I, I, we may run long here, and that's and that's fine uh, if it's okay with you. And, and the question that I have is, and, and it went back to the post, and it goes back to the film, and the idea that uh, you know, different from a, a documentary filmmaker uh, from a feature film, is that you, you now have 300 hours worth of film. How do you sort through that? How do you how do you then say? And, and this is for you know budding documentary filmmakers out there or even season with how do you, how do you how do you go through 300 hours of film and and craft your is that where you wrote it first and then go and look for the footage or do you get the footage yes. well you know we started out before we ever shot anything uh, i wrote up a treatment and this was what we thought the story could be and in the end i would say that the movie was very very close to our vision uh of what we wanted it to be in the from the beginning, long before we ever even, you know, said action, or as Kurt says, speed. Uh, but regardless, um, it is a very, very daunting task. And uh, I just remember having to sit down sometimes and say, oh, my God. And, and also, too, I had a newborn uh, in the house. Right. My, my, uh, I got back from shooting at the end of May and two weeks later my son was born. And so, um, and Matthew, as I dubbed him the page monster, uh, he didn't <laughs> care that I had a little monster at home. Uh, he was cracking that whip. And so it was very, very daunting. But we knew what it was that we wanted. We didn't necessarily know the order all the time, so the, so the script wasn't written in, in any particular kind of order. It was like, you know, let, we know that we have to have this kind of segment. Let me go tackle it. And we would discuss what it was that we wanted and the expository information and what we wanted to reveal about character. And, uh, and so off I would go. And, and, and so we sort of bit it off in small pieces and then before we knew it it was uh it was done well you know like a year later <laughs> well again you have been absolutely absolutely fascinating um i wanted to ask you uh about one other thing and that is um people can catch uh, most valuable players in Mill in Mill Valley in San, the San Francisco area, Chicago area, St. Louis, and they can check it out by uh, going to mostvalueableplayersmovie.com. That's they, right. You'll see. Um, I think I think there's a link that says showings, and you can just you can just click on it, and and uh, and then there'll be links there that will take you right to the film festival websites. So and they can check out the collector, which is a, a, a gruesome, well-acted horror flick that is produced by uh, Christopher and Julie Richardson, and, uh, and Brett Forbes and Patrick Rosati and and uh, Mickey Lydell and Jennifer Hilton, and uh, it's actually playing now. I think it's playing on the Movie Channel uh, right now, so you can see it on the Movie Channel, and and it's also on DVD. And uh, I want to ask you about Rhinestone Alibi. 
Rhinestone Alibi is a project that's in turnaround at Paramount, okay. and uh, it's a project that I set up with Julie, and it's such a great concept, and uh, it's actually loosely based on a true story about a college girl who ran out of funds, and she started a business, which was an alibi service. She would, she would create alibis for people to get them out of trouble. And so uh, we set it up at Paramount, and uh, a script was written, but it's in turnaround now. So it, uh, we're always thinking about ways to revive it, and, and, uh, and it's really a fun, it's just a fun story, really a lot of fun. Awesome. Now I have in the chat room someone going, Showtime, Showtime. So it may be that the collectors on Showtime or the movie channel or one of those, but they can check their local guide and leave their listings and find that out. Christopher, you have been awesome. As always, it has been a pleasure having you here today Thank you, to discuss the movie. Um, I'm thrilled about the uh, good news that is remaining secret, and uh, and can't wait until you're able to you know fully realize that and then share it. Uh, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, people in the chat room have uh, certainly, uh, over the past as well as today, enjoyed you, and uh, as I said, you're a very popular guest and, and very well liked and respected. So uh, thanks so much for being a part of uh, Movie Beat. We're going to have you back. You know, we'll we'll let them know when. And uh, and uh, but thanks so much. Thank you, Rex. Thanks, everybody. See ya. All right. Have a great rest Bye. of the day. Thank you. you too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Ah, uh, again, thanks to my fascinating guest, Mr. Christopher Lockhart, for being here. Again, he's a story editor at William Morris Endeavor. He's got tons of advice and secrets and, 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 and things you need to hear about if you're a screenwriter or a producer. Uh, and all of my listeners right now, keep in mind that there are other great guests coming up. My next guests are David Brannon and Karen Warden from Film Courage, and then Eduardo Ballerini, actor from Sopranos, from uh, Boardwalk Empire. We're going to be talking about movies and things, so you're going to want to tune in for that. Um, Rick Overton is coming back. Uh, he's in dinner with dinner for schmucks, and uh, and so just stay tuned and and visit the official website RexSykesMovieBeat.com. You'll see listings of uh, of uh, upcoming guests. They're they're not in any particular order, so that you because it's a blog page, so you got to look through that. But uh, enjoy it. You can always uh, join us on Rex Sykes on Facebook or Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends on Facebook. By the way, my Twitter address is Rex Sykes Movie BT, Rex Sykes Movie BT. I'd like to have a couple hundred thousand followers here in the next day or so, so if you guys can help me out with that, I'd really appreciate it. Um, wink, wink. So anyway, uh, yeah, join us again live and, uh, and continue to uh, support my guests by sharing the show and tweeting about it. And everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.